Today we're looking at how we are to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to live in such a way that is acting out or living in faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? The good news that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross to save us from our sins. And what difference should that make in our lives? Specifically, I want to look at how the gospel changes us, changes how we look at ourselves. So when we look in the mirror, I want to challenge us to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I say I want to challenge us to do that, that's because I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is challenging us to do in Colossians chapter 3, which is our passage this morning. Uh, And I also want to challenge us, as the Apostle Paul does, to look at one another through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at gospel living as a byproduct or an overflow of seeing ourselves and those around us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 3. We are going to be in verses 5 through 17 this morning, which is a lot. It's a lot, so buckle up. We're going to fly through it. We have a lot to cover. And the first thing I want to look at is... is What we've talked about last week, but we need to bring it in. This is one of the hard things in kind of preaching passage by passage is that what we looked at last week applies to what we're looking at this week. Obviously, I don't want to re-preach the sermon, uh, but we need to bring in some of the context. And so Paul has this idea in Colossians where he's challenging the Colossian church to have what I'm calling gospel glasses see themselves and the world around them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read the passage that we looked at last week. It was just four verses, but it sets up the passage we're looking at this week. Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 1 of Colossians, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he brings in three essential components of our faith. We trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died died on the cross in our place, paid the price for our sins. And Paul says, now apply that to yourself. See yourself through that lens. The old you was crucified with Jesus Christ. The Colossians did not literally die. He's not writing to people that have died and come back to life. He's writing to people that have been saved by Jesus Christ. And he says, see yourself as people whose sin was put on the Son of God and he died in your place. So we have the crucifixion, then he brings in the resurrection, and you've been brought to new life, and then we have Christ's return. And one day, Jesus Christ is coming back. So he says, these are the the lenses, the glasses that we're supposed to put on to see ourselves and this world. And we talked about that last week. This is called the Christian worldview. We don't just see the world through kind of normal lens of accepting things the way they are. We see the world as followers of Jesus Christ through the lens of the gospel of the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's hard. It's not normal. It's not natural. It feels weird sometimes. It looks weird sometimes to the world around us. But we are to see ourselves and the world differently through the lens of the gospel. And the gospel has two major components. 
the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And so if we go back to chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of the world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? And we talked about kind of this false obedience that was trying to earn God's love or just doing certain religious things to get by. And we said that's not the way to look at our relationship with Christ. But the thing I want to bring in here is Paul's use of the, the assumption. Do you understand, Christian, you died with Christ. You're not who you were. The old you is gone. And so in our passage today, he's going to talk about what does that mean? What does that look like? What are some of the old things that we have to get rid of? If we skip ahead to chapter 3, verse 1, which I read, since then you've been raised with Christ. He says, okay, you're a new person in Jesus Christ. What are some of the new things we need to put on in our lives to live out the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So we need to see ourselves through this gospel lens, dead to sin, alive and having new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in verses 5 to 17, Paul gets real. He gets really specific, uncomfortably specific. And I think it will be just as uncomfortable for us today as it was to the Colossians 2,000 years ago because he's calling them out on some specific things in their culture and even in their church that they need to get rid of. And he uses this picture of changing clothes. In verses 9 and 10, he talks about since you've taken off your old self. There's the application of the crucifixion. The old you is gone crucified on the cross, so you need to take off those dirty clothes, those actions that you're doing that are part of your old self. And he talks about in verse 5, he says, put to death certain things in your life. Killing sin. Strong words. He says, this is so important. If you trust that Jesus is the Son of God who died in your place, are you going to take serious that he died for your sin And therefore, you need to look at that sin and say, I need to put that to death. It's not talking about killing people. I'm going to be very clear. It's talking about getting rid of sin. And then he's talking about putting on or clothing yourselves, as he says in verse 12, with actions and attitudes that demonstrate our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, before we get into the passage itself, I want to give a warning. Because if we get this wrong, we're going to misunderstand what Paul's talking about. So we've got to understand this correctly. Christianity is not saying there are certain things you must do and certain things you must stop doing in order to earn acceptance from God. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity, the Bible is very clear, there is nothing you could possibly do to earn God's love. Nothing you would do would ever be enough to earn God's love. Christian living, Christian actions, faith-filled obedience comes from a response to what Christ has already done. It is trusting that Christ has accomplished salvation for us and we are trusting in that and living it out. It is not hoping that if we change ourselves and work really hard, then one day Christ will look at us and say, I accept you because you were good enough. So we need to get this clear. Let me give you an illustration of this. Think about a child 
wanting to impress her parents. And so there's two ways of looking at this. Let's, let's think one child that wants to earn her parents' love. And so she looks at doing things maybe around the house, helping pick up, maybe doing the dishes, the laundry. She says, I want my parent, father, mother, I want them to love me. And so I'm going to do things in the hopes that if I do them well, my parent will love me. So she does them. Parent comes home, says, thank you, really appreciate it. By the way, did you happen to take out the trash? Oh, no, I didn't take out the trash. Now, if she's trying to earn love, what she hears is, well, you did, you're not good enough. You didn't do it. did all these great things, but you failed in this, and you're not good enough. Because she's trying to earn love. So what does she do? She's got to try harder. Or maybe she just gives up. Can't earn it. Why bother? And I think so many people are trying to do that in their relationship with God. I'm going to do these things, but then I read something in Scripture and it says, well, now do this. And it's like, oh, I'm not good enough. Now let's consider another illustration. What if the daughter knows her parents love her? Knows it in the core of her being. My parents love me. And then she looks at the house and says, I know my parents who love me appreciate help around the house. Because they love me, I want to help around the house. And so she does some dishes. She picks up a little bit. And parents come home and say, thank you. This is great. Did you by any chance happen to take out the trash? She says no. But notice the difference. She knows she's loved. That's not the question. Now she can say, oh, my parents also value taking out the trash. And because I love them and they love me, I'm just going to try to remember that. It's not an act of judgment. That's already done. This is the difference in how we see our relationship with Christ. If we think we have to earn the love, we will always feel that it's not enough. So as we go through this passage and things to get rid of, things to put on, this is not about trying to earn God's approval It is living out the truth of what God has already done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Already loves us in Christ, already accepts us, has already paid the price for our sins. Now we are free to live differently because we trust that. So we need to see that difference and apply it to this passage. Because here he's going to talk about changing our actions and our attitudes. So let's get a big picture view of this passage and then we'll go to some of the details. First of all, look at verses 15 and 16. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. These two phrases, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He's talking to the church, to Christians. This is how they are to live. This is the big picture of living out the gospel. It starts with who Christ is. Christ has purchased our peace with God. He doesn't come to us and say, you better be at peace with God. You better make things right. He comes to us and says, I've done it for you. You need to trust me. You need to accept the free gift of salvation. And so the peace of Christ, and as we live in that peace, trusting that it's already done and accepting it, then we move on to the message of Christ, the truth of the gospel, what Christ has done. And he says, let that dwell among you richly. I love that phrase. As a church, as Christians, as individuals, and collectively as the church, the word of Christ should dwell among us richly. 
That means look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go deep into God's word. Study it when you gather together here at church or in your homes. Go deep. Let it dwell in you, sinking down deep into you. Don't just say, oh yeah, I trusted that one day when I was five years old and now I'm just ready to move on. Or yeah, that's old school, but I'm ready for new things today. No, let the truth of Jesus Christ sink deep into our lives. Focus on it. Talk about it. Learn it. Study it. Make the truth of the gospel the lens through which we see ourselves and the entire world around us. Now, I've called this sermon gospel living, not just gospel seeing or gospel thinking, but we have to see through the lens of the gospel if we're going to live out the gospel. So we've got to get that right. That's why I wanted to start here. Because the gospel is not be who you should be so that God will love and accept you. That's not the gospel. The go- and that's not good news at all. That's what gospel means. If you don't know, gospel means good news. That's not good news. That's bad news. You'll never be good enough. You'll never live up to it. Good news is Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in him as your savior, all of your sins were put on Christ. All of them were paid for by the cross. You have a new life in Jesus Christ in perfect relationship with God, your Father. It is already done. Gospel living is now live it out. It's already done. Live it out in faith. In many ways, the call to gospel living to the Christian is be who you really are in Jesus Christ. Don't accept the lies of the world and try to define who you are. Be who you are in Jesus Christ. Dead to sin alive in Christ. Okay, so we've got a big picture here. Still with me? We're going fast, I told you. Buckle up. Now that we have the big picture, let's dive into some details. Let's look at the two lenses of the gospel. The first one is the lens of the cross. How does looking at ourselves through a lens of the cross of Jesus Christ change how we act? That's what Paul's talking about. Look at verses 5 to 11. Let me just read this for us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, uh, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, understand first the strong language, language of verse 5. He doesn't say... If you feel like it, try to work on these things. He doesn't say, hey, it'd be kind of helpful in your life if you would work on these things. He comes right out with very strong language, put to death. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This is not just accept that this is the way you are and you can't help it. This is putting these things to death. Because Christ died on the cross, as Christians who believe in Jesus Christ, we must take sin seriously. Because God does. 
If sin was not a big deal, there's no reason for Christ to die on the cross. If sin's not a big deal, then it's cruel for Jesus to die on the cross. The reason the Son of God died on the cross is because sin is a big deal. Life had to be paid for sin. And only God's Son, with eternal life, could stand in the place of all of us, take the punishment and death for all of our sin, and die in our place. That's how awful sin was and is. In fact, if you want to see a picture of just the the awful effects of sin, think about what Christ went through on the cross. We don't like to dwell on these things. It's morbid, it's difficult, the suffering, the pain, the blood. We don't like to dwell on these things, but that is, in a nutshell, a picture of hell. He went through it for us. That is the ugliness and the price of our sin. And so Paul says, if you trust that Jesus died in your place on the cross, then look at sin in your life. Put it to death. Get rid of it. Don't just say it's no big deal. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Talked about this throughout Colossians. He has these phrases that kind of just mean the way things are. These things that we just accept as normal, natural, it's just the way of the world, it's just the flesh, it's just the way things are. And Paul says, don't accept that. So look at it and call it what it is. It's sin. Put it to death. Because Christ died for these things, we are to consider these things in our life dead. Don't live this way. Don't give in to them. See them through the lens of the truth of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And now we get specific in verses 5 to 7. What things is he talking about that we should put to death and why? He's going to give us two lists. One in verse 5 and another in verse 8. Let's start with the first list and look at what he talks about. He says at the end of verse 5 that we are to put to death these things of the earthly nature, and he lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And all of these are under this overarching category of earthly nature. Just accepting the way things are, going about our lives the way we want, all of that. It's living apart from the sovereign power of God and the authority of God and just saying, well, it's just the way we are. And all of these things, it's really interesting, and and just to understand the seriousness of this, all of these things he says in verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. These are things that the Bible says God doesn't just overlook. He doesn't just say no big deal. One day, the world will be judged, and these things will be judged. Now, I want to be careful. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? There are other places in Scripture. We could look at other sins, Um, but here, Paul is dealing with these things. The other thing that's interesting, verse 7, he says to these Christians, you used to walk in these ways. You used to do these things, just like your culture around you. You used to live this way. All of these things in this list were normal and acceptable, even celebrated in Greek and Roman culture at the time that Paul wrote this. These were not abnormal in the ways of this world. You know, Christians sometimes today, we like to talk about, oh, things have gotten so worse or so bad. They're so out of control. Trust me, Christians, they've always been bad. They've always been out of control in this way. Our culture has always been drawn to sin. It's not new. We come up with new ways of doing it, but it's always been this way. But Paul says, don't just accept it. 
Don't just give in to it. It says, see yourself and see these actions through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died for these things. So count them as dead in your own life. Couple observations here. Paul considers these things a big deal. Can't just skip over them. Can't just say, well, they're no longer relevant. Paul considers them a big deal. He puts them first when he's going to apply living out the gospel. He says that we must put them to death, that the wrath of God is coming because of these things, that they used to live this way, but they must now be different. What Paul's saying here, Christian, is not optional. It wasn't optional when he wrote this 2,000 years ago, and it's not optional today. This is not a matter of personal preference or personal freedom. Paul is saying these things have no place in the lives of people saved by Jesus Christ. They are contrary to the gospel. So what's he talking about? Verse 5, he is talking about primarily sexual sins. Sexual sins. Human sexuality. Sexual preference. Sexual actions. And even identity, such as gender. All of these things were created by God for God's purposes. He is in authority over all of these things. Sin loves to attack and undermine God's creative purposes. That's the way sin has always operated. And it comes in and wants to twist and distort the way the world looks at things that God has created. These things were a problem in Colossae 2,000 years ago. They're still a problem today. And the gospel still speaks truth to these things. The first two things in the list, sexual immorality and impurity, are basically the same. Synonyms. Both have the idea of a human sexuality either in thought or in action that is contrary to God's plan. The Bible says over and over again, that God created sex as a wonderful thing between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. That is the biblical view of human sexuality. Anything outside of this falls under the category that Paul is using here, sexual immorality and impurity. That's how they would have heard these words. You will hear numerous people say, well, the Bible doesn't actually condemn certain things. It does. It's how they would have heard these words. These are not open for redefinition today. He goes on to say, sexual immorality and impurity goes to lust, which is a wrong thinking about sex, not just actions, but inward thoughts. He goes on to say, evil desires and greed and clarifies or adds, which is idolatry. What in the world? As I read this, I thought, Paul, what do you, why do you lump these together? You start with sexual sins, you end up with greed and idolatry. You're just kind of listing random things. No, he's not. He's not changing topics. He's going from the specific to the broad in order to give perspective. You see, evil desires are human sexual desires that are outside the bounds of God's creative purposes. And then he talks about greed. And I don't think he's just talking about greed in general. I want to be careful. Please don't go home and say, Pastor said greed is fine. I'm not saying that. There are other places we can talk about greed in general. But I think here, he's talking about a greediness 
which is saying, I know God says this about human sexuality, but I want more. That's greed. I want more than what God wants to give. In fact, the Jewish people often associated Greek and Roman sexual practices with greed and idolatry. For them, they equated these things. So Paul is using language that the Jewish people among them certainly would have been familiar with. And I think that statement, which is idolatry, helps to clarify this. Idolatry is worship of, or setting as a priority, anything above God. Anything. That's what idolatry is. You don't have to make a statue and bow down and worship it. Anything that you set as a priority in your life above God and his purposes is idolatry. So what Paul is saying here, when we put a view of human sexuality above God's creative purposes, we are committing idolatry. That's how serious it is. Now let's look at Paul's second verse. And I promise we're going to pick up the pace, okay? So, but we need to get this out because I think it's so relevant for us today. In verse 8, he talks about more relational sins, the way we think or how we treat other people, how we speak to them. He says anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. All of these are actions or thoughts toward other people. And I believe Paul is specifically talking about how Christians treat other Christians. Now, again, I'm not saying, Christian, you can treat people who aren't Christians however you want. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what Paul's saying. We can go to other places to talk about that. But he's talking specifically about how Christians treat each other here because he says in verse 9, he uses that phrase, each other, or or it's kind of like a one another. And that's usually talking about within the church, how they treat each other. And he's saying as Christians, you should not treat each other out of anger or malice or slander or even just talking filthy, filthy language. It's kind of hard to nail down what he means by that. I think it's more than just using swear words. It's not less than, but it's more than that. It's it's like calling other people names, being demeaning or derogatory toward them, just talking down about other people. Paul says, get rid of these things. They have no place in the church of Jesus Christ. And again, like he did with the initial list, he ties them together under this heading, do not lie to each other. And again, it sounds like, Paul, why are you talking about these things and now saying, don't lie to each other? You're just adding on another thing. And again, I don't think he is. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Paul is saying when we treat each other with anger and malice, and looking for the phrase here, Um, the things that he lists out here, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. What he's saying is you are lying about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel says that I, as a believer, have been saved by Jesus, put to death. The sin has been crucified on the cross. I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. And you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your sin has been crucified. You've been raised to new life. I'm treating you, if I'm doing these things, as if that's not true. I'm living a lie. And Paul says, don't do that. That's why later on he talks about the word of Christ dwelling richly in them. Paul considers the way Christians treat other Christians 
to be a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At least it's supposed to be. We've all probably been in situations where that's not what happened. People didn't treat us that way. And it's a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ when we don't. We don't necessarily mean it that way, but that might be what we're living out. Look at verse 11. It says here, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and it is in all. I won't go into each one of these, but these were normal categories of the world that they would use to kind of put people in their place. And Paul says, do away with that. Don't judge each other by the world's categories. See each other through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's these things in our lives we need to see through the cross or the crucifixion of Jesus. Things that must be done away with, put to death, get out of your life. Now he's going to talk about things to put on. If you're watching the time, I know we're almost out. Don't worry, we'll get there. Okay, I promise. He says there are things about our new identity with Jesus Christ that we must now put on, live out, consider to be true. And he uses this beautiful language out of the Old Testament, starting in verse 12. Let me just read 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, Here's, here, you want to know what it looks like to live out the gospel, the actions that should be different. He says, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Some of these things were not considered good in the Greek and Roman world. Humility was actually frowned upon by their culture. It was considered weakness. They they put that down. And Christians were called to humility, which made them look really dumb to the world around them. But they were called to it. They were called to clothe themselves. We don't need to go into each one. I think when we take all of these together, Paul is saying, put on Christ. Live the way Christ lived. Put on the character and nature of Christ. In Romans 13, 14, he uses that phrase, put on Christ. We are to live these things because they demonstrate that we believe we're new in Jesus Christ. And again, we're to act this way toward everyone. But Paul's specifically saying, in the church to fellow believers, make sure you do this. Verse 13, bear with one another. That literally means put up with. So, so there are things somebody does that might be annoying, might even be sinful, that we are to bear with. It's okay. I don't need to get after that person. It's Jesus Christ's job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. I, I can bear with them. Now, there is a place for confronting sin in people's lives and calling someone to repentance. That's not what Paul's dealing with here. You could look at Matthew 18. I preached on that several 
gosh, probably a year ago now. You can look up that sermon on the church website if you'd like to. There's a place for confronting sin and even calling someone to repentance. Here, Paul's talking about a general attitude of love and forgiveness and grace toward other people that is an expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verses 15 to 17, he says this resurrection lens changes how we live as a church. We have peace through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We have the truth dwelling in us, the message of Christ that we're looking at and living out. He says our worship, our gatherings are to be characterized by this new perspective. The message of Christ in preaching, teaching, studying, discussions. Talks about singing, our acts of worship are to be demonstrations and and exclamations of the gospel. And the way we treat one another. We had a business meeting this morning. And we talked about where's God at work? And one of the things that came up is just the way people treat each other in this church. It's loving. It's gracious. That's an overflow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's evidence of the work of the gospel in our church. And then finally, verse 17 sums it all up. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If we see ourselves through the lens of the crucifixion and the resurrection, then we will look at ourselves and say, I am not my own. I was bought at a price. I don't live for myself. I live for the glory of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will live the new life that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gospel living means living through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. Put to death those things that are incompatible with the nature of Jesus Christ. Put on or live out those things that demonstrate the nature of Jesus Christ. Don't allow the world to say just accept this or just excuse it. As the church, we can't give in and call these things good when Paul is, or when God has said otherwise. We must put on the truth of the gospel. When we live the gospel, we grow in our faith. And we help others in the church to grow in their faith. When we live the gospel, we become a living, breathing demonstration of the truth of the salvation through Jesus Christ so that the world can see us and say, that's different. I want that. I've never seen anything like that before. And I think more than anything else today, the world needs to see living demonstrations of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they too can be saved and live the gospel in their own lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the truth of the gospel. I thank you for the new perspective that the gospel brings. And God, it's hard. It's hard to see our lives and our world and even our churches. It's hard to see them differently. And Father, I pray that we would be so immersed and saturated by your word that our view of ourselves and this world and the church would be formed and shaped by your word, not our preferences. Not cultural standards, but the truth of the message of Jesus Christ. May we live as those whose sins have been crucified on the cross of Jesus Christ. May we live as those who have been raised to new life through your son, Jesus Christ. 
May we live in such a way that we demonstrate the gospel to one another and to a watching world that so desperately needs to be saved. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.